0: Hello, and welcome to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles, Missouri. It is our hope that the following message will help you grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ. For more teachings, please visit our sermon page at fbcversales.com. Mark chapter 11, verses 27 through 33. They came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me. They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, he will say "Then not you believe him." But if we say of human origin, they were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. May we not just be Hearers of the word this morning, but put it into practice. In days gone by, politicians would go door to door to meet the people that might vote for them. Right? They wanted to get to know them. They wanted them to get to know them. And well, there was a man who was running for a second term as governor of Massachusetts, and he was out chasing votes one morning and realized that it had become afternoon and he hadn't had lunch yet. And he was starving, so he just so happened at that particular moment in time to be walking by, he was walking by a church picnic. And it was a church barbecue. And I'm sure it was this aroma of the barbecue walking in the air that reminded him how hungry he was. And so he hopped in line. And as he moved down the serving line, and he held out his plate to the woman that was serving the chicken, and she put a piece of chicken on his plate and then turned to the next person in line. Um, Excuse excuse me, the governor said. Do you mind if I have another piece of chicken? Sorry, the woman told him. I'm supposed to give one piece of chicken to each person. But I'm so starved, the governor said. Sorry, the woman said sternly. Only one per person. The governor was normally a modest man, I'm assuming, you know, but he decided that maybe he would throw his weight around just a little bit, this one time. And so he said, do you know who I am? I'm the governor of this state. And the woman, looking annoyed, looked her dead in the eyes and replied, do you know who I am? I'm the lady in charge of the chicken. You better move on. He had the credentials, but she had the authority. Jesus had just cleansed and cursed the temple for its empty religion, and some of the people that had witnessed it, some of the people that had heard the things that he had said would witness the destruction of that same temple in 70 A.D., the religious leaders didn't like what Jesus said, so they were actually looking for ways to kill him. In fact, this is not the first time that we learn about this plot to kill Jesus. In Mark chapter 3, verse 6, the religious leaders partnered with the, their political enemies, the Herodians, in order to lay a plot to kill Jesus. Now, you might think that Jesus would lay low for a little while, right? Right? He just went to the temple, flipped everything over, and he probably knew that they were not happy with him. And so most of us are probably like, yeah, I'm just going to show up for a few days, maybe a week or two, but the heat died down some, and then, and then I'll go back. But not Jesus. Jesus goes back the very next day. Not only does he show up, but he's about to get into a spiritual confrontation with these religious leaders about his and about His authority. And beginning in these verses all the way through the end of chapter 12, Jesus is going to have five controversies in or around the temple. And what is fascinating is that these five controversies that Jesus is going to have with the religious leaders are the exact same controversies that He has already faced whenever He was in Galilee in chapter 2 and 3. Same exact ones. There was five controversies in chapter 2 and 3, and now there are going to be five controversies in chapters 11 and 12. And Jesus' first confrontation back in chapter 2 with the religious leaders, it followed Jesus' forgiving the sins of a paralyzed man. You might remember they tore the roof off of the home to lower a man before Jesus so that Jesus heal him of his paralyzed condition, but instead Jesus says, your sins are forgiven, and they were thinking, Jesus doesn't have the authority to forgive sins, only God can forgive sins, who does this guy think that he is? What they failed to realize is that Jesus was God in the flesh, and he had every authority to forgive sins. In our text today, we're going to find this same issue of authority being addressed. However, the states are much, much higher, and the opposition is much, much stronger, and the opponents have much, much more uh, influence because of their qualifications. What's going on? Uh, It is plugged in, but there might be an issue. Okay. (laughs) So let's unplug it. authority of Jesus, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders are going to reveal three reasons why they will not follow Jesus. And sadly, these same three reasons are used by people today who continue to reject Jesus. What kept these religious leaders from following and trusting Jesus? The same reasons that people refuse to trust and follow Jesus So let's take a look at them. First, they reject Jesus' authority. Look back at verse 27 and 28. It says, They came again to Jerusalem. As he was walking in the temple, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders came and asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority to do these things? Now Mark mentions three groups of people who questioned Jesus. The chief priests teachers of the law and the elders, or scribes. Scribes and elders, teachers of the law, depending on what your translation is. Now, these groups probably represented the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a group of 71 members who served as the high court for the Jews, kind of like our Supreme Court in the United States, except for they, the Sanhedrin exercised both political and religious authority. The chief priests were senior temple priests. They'd been there for a long time. They knew what was going on. They had served their time and now are serving on the court. The scribes or teachers of the law were also known as Pharisees. And they loved being in the temple because people had questions. And they wanted to answer their questions. So they were there answering people's questions as they came to worship in the temple. And the elders were simply the privileged ruling class of the land, the nobles, the, the upper class people, the people that were um, wealthy, business owners, people that had influence among the people. That's what the elders, especially the elders were. And these groups together had power that was far-reaching. And everyone looked to this group for what to do when and how to do it. And another thing about them is that they were very they were very fragile in their leadership because they were sensitive to anything that might threaten their authority. And anything that popped its head up as an opposition or as a threat, they would hammer it back down. And clearly Jesus was a threat to them. And so they were looking for a way to get him out of the way. And that's the issue here. The issue of authority. They want to know who gave Jesus the authority to do the things that he was doing. You know, they don't seem to be interested in what Jesus is doing. The fact that he's, you know, helping a lot of people and pointing people back to the proper worship of God. They don't seem to care about what he's doing. All they really care about is who do we need to talk to to get this guy to stop. It's kind of like when you see a wayward child who's uh, who's throwing a fit, and, uh, and you go up to them, and then you go, who are your parents? I need to have a talk with them. That's what these religious leaders are doing to Jesus. Who gave you this authority? We need to go out and talk with them so that they can tell you to cut it out. You think about it in the context of the book of Mark and you look back. Jesus never really hides his authority. And he exercises all kinds of authority all the time. He raises people from the dead, he walks on water, calms the storms, multiplies the fish and the loaves. He says to people, Your sins are forgiven. He cleanses lepers, heals the sick, drives out demons. Causes the lame to walk, the blind to see, the mute to speak, the deaf to hear, and teaches with great authority. He had just picked the money changers out of the temple and was teaching people the true purpose for what the temple was there for, to be a house of prayer. And so they asked, who gave you permission to do all? see, these guys viewed themselves as the authority for everything, all things in life, and especially all things religious. They came from the right background, they went to the right schools, they had the right training, they wore the right clothing, they spent time with the right people, and they had the right credentials hanging on their wall at home. They were official and they saw it as their official responsibility and duty to make sure things happened in the way they were taught. And when they looked at Jesus, they didn't see anything that resembled their qualifications. He didn't have the right background. He didn't go to the right schools. He didn't get the right training or wear the right clothing. He didn't spend time with the right people. He spent a lot of time with what most people would consider the wrong people. And he definitely didn't have the right credentials hanging on his wall at home. Now you might remember in Mark chapter 6 that Jesus is speaking, and he's speaking with authority in his hometown, teaching the crowd. And the crowd starts talking to one another, and they say, Isn't this the carpenter's son? Don't we know his brothers and sisters? Where did he get this authority? I've got a a coffee table that he made. His initials were carved in the bottom of it. Joseph's and sons, carpentry, right? Where did he get this kind of authority? And it offended them. The Sanhedrin, they were the group that gave out the credentials. They were the ones that gave people the authority to do things. And they had not given Jesus any permission to do any of the things that he was doing. Now we don't have time to go back through all of the book of Mark, um, but Jesus does so many things with authority. Let me mention just three. Chapter, and I'll start at the very beginning. Chapter 1, verses. 21 and 22. Jesus enters the synagogue on the Sabbath and begins to teach. It says in verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them as one who had authority and not like the scribes. He was teaching with, with authority, not like the scribes, although the scribes were the ones who were supposed to have had the authority. But they say he was teaching with his own authority, not like the scribes. Drop down to verse 27 in chapter 1. They were all amazed. This is he drove the demon out of the man in the, in the synagogue. It says, they were all amazed and began to ask each other, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He even commands the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Chapter 2, verses 10 through 12. So that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he told the paralytic, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. And immediately he got up, took the mat, and went out in front of everyone. And as a result, they were all astounded and gave glory to God, saying, "We have never seen anything like this." And that's just the beginning of the gospel. Every page of the Gospel of Mark has Jesus showing some kind of authority, and that is one of his unique characteristics: his authority. He did and said things in such a way that you just couldn't ignore him. He didn't just talk to talk. The rabbis, they would sometimes just talk to talk. They would Actually, most of them didn't have an original idea. They just quoted all the other rabbis that came before them and said, that's tradition. Such and such, rabbi says this, and this rabbi says that. What do you think? Well, this rabbi says this, and this rabbi, okay, but what do you think? Well, this rabbi, you know what I mean? That's how they did it. But Jesus spoke with authority to change lives. He wasn't concerned with what some other rabbi taught. He wanted to know, what does the word of God teach? Nevertheless, these bloodhounds of hate are still on Jesus' trail. Show us your credentials, Jesus. They were trying to get Jesus to admit He had no credentials. He had no authority to teach and act in the way that he had. And those people who will reject Jesus, always begin here by questioning Jesus' authority. They're not looking for the real answer. People in the and and these religious leaders, they didn't really want the real answer. They were trying to trap him in his words so that they could dismiss him or kill him and be done with him forever. If Jesus admits that he doesn't have religious papers, that he didn't go to seminary, that he didn't even get a fake online Bible degree, that he's acting on his own authority with no one else's permission, they think that one of two things will happen. One, he'll either lose the respect of the people that are following him, and then they won't have to worry about him anymore because they'll stop following him and come back to them. Or, he'll say that he's doing it from his own authority or that his authority is divine and they'll kill him. So either way, they win. But this question of authority is an important question. And the truth of the matter is, each and every one of us have some source of authority in our lives. We have some one or something that guides us, that drives us, that rules our heart and our life. And that thing that drives us that thing that we submit ourselves to that actually becomes our God little G. fake God for most people they're like the Sanhedrin and the thing that rules over them over their life is themselves we want to rule our lives don't we we want to call shots we want to decide what happens. We want to be the captain of our own souls. And we're not really interested in surrendering that authority or that decision-making ability to anyone else. We want to do what we want to do when we want to do it and how we want it done. And so each and every one of us has to look deeply into our hearts and address this issue of authority, whether in our decisions are that we make, political, financial, or otherwise, everything comes down to an issue of authority. Because the decisions that we make are going to depend on what is guiding our life. If we're guiding our life, then we should get to decide what we do with all those things. If Christ is Lord of our life, then He gets to decide what happens with all those things. Maybe you've heard people say this. Well, I believe, or my view is. And what they're really saying is that they want what they want, and they don't want anyone else to tell them any different. But Jesus tears all of that down. He destroys it all. He flips over (coughs) the tables. He drives out our old way of thinking, that mean-focused thinking. He drives it right out of our lives. And he tells us, if you want to be first, you need to be last. And if you want to be the master, then you need to be the greatest servant of all. And if you want to save your life, you've got to lose it. That's different, isn't it? That's a different authority altogether. Who's in charge of your life? Have you submitted to the authority of Christ? Are you questioning His rule? Most of our problems, I believe, in this life can be reduced to the question of the authority of God. Whenever I grab the wheel of my life, I usually end up in the ditch, or if we use a voting metaphor, I end up on the rocks. But when Christ is in charge, when He takes the wheel, He guides me where I need to go. The struggle for authority will shipwreck your life. The authority of Jesus is worth submitting to, but it's such a tragedy that many still question. And that's where it begins. But they also willfully reject the evidence. They reject Jesus' authority, but they also reject the evidence. Look at verses 29 through 32. Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question, then answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was John's baptism from heaven or of human origin? Answer me! They discussed it among themselves. If we say from heaven, we'll say in the light we believe them. But if we say a human origin, they were afraid of the crowd, because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we don't know. So they Jesus this question, and then Jesus flips the question back around on um, them. You know, this wasn't the first time that Jesus had had interactions with these religious leaders, maybe these particular ones, but not religious leaders in general. They sent a delegation to check on way back in chapter 2, which was actually a few years earlier. And so for some time now, they've been following Jesus' ministry, they knew about His teaching, they've heard about His healing. Some of them maybe even had seen it Firsthand, Jesus also knew their hearts, and he continued to handle this situation like he did previous ones, answering a question with a question. But his question was going to show the question asker the truth about who he was. And this is exactly what Jesus does here. Jesus points them to the evidence. For Jesus' entire ministry, he was closely connected to John the Baptist. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, tells us that John was a man who was sent by God to testify about the coming Messiah or Christ. He made sure, John made sure to let people know that he was not the Messiah, but that he was the messenger of the Messiah, the one who was calling out in the wilderness, preparing the way of the Lord. And people believed that John was a prophet sent from God. They believed it. They knew it. They saw it. They heard him speak, and they knew that it was God's prophet in John. And John would tell the religious leaders, because they asked him, are you the Messiah? He said, no, I'm not, but here's what I'll do. When he comes, I'll say, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when Jesus approaches John out of the wilderness to be baptized, those are the very words that John says about Jesus. And as Jesus was being baptized by John, as soon as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit uh, of God descending on him like a dove and a voice coming from heaven saying, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased in Mark chapter 1, verses 10 and really, 11, the very beginning of our gospel. So Jesus tells the temple authorities, look at the evidence. Who do you think John was? Was John sent by God, as nearly everyone believes, or was he just a camel hair shirt wearing locust and honey-eating crazy man living out in the wilderness? Who was he? And the answer to the question about who John was and who gave John his authority to baptize, the answer to that question is the same answer as the question who Jesus gave or who gave Jesus his authority. Like Jesus, John came preaching a message of redemption, of repentance. And like Jesus, he didn't particularly give honor to the official religious authorities. And while the religious elite thought that Jesus was just some hillbilly from the sticks. John was viewed as a wilderness wacko by them, But the people loved John, and they believed that he was from God. And so the religious elite here are in a dilemma. And I love the picture of the whole thing, right? There's these three groups of people that converge on Jesus. They ask him this question. And I just imagine that they walk up to Jesus, with, you know, sort of swagger, and they're like, yeah, we have this really good question. We've been working on this thing for weeks. We're going to get it, finally. Say, Jesus, one of them pipes up, who we'll gave you the authority? Who we'll gave you the right to do these things? And I'm sure that Jesus saw them coming from the other side of the temple courts and knew what was getting ready to happen, taking in all of the, you know, surveying the entire situation around him. And he says, sure, I'll answer that. But first let me ask you a question. And then he asked a question about John, right? Was it from heaven or was it from man? Was it God or man or did somebody just make it up? And um, they go, oh, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, just give us a moment We need to go over here and uh, confer with each other. we can talk about it and make sure we're all on the same page before we come back and give our official answer. And so they step back just enough so that no one else will overhear them. And as they get into their huddle, one of the guys says, you guys know we can't say that John's baptism comes from heaven, right? We can't say that. Because if we say that, Jesus is going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? You're supposed to be connected to him. You're supposed to be God's representatives. You know, you're the priests and leaders of the religion. You should have been the first ones to be baptized. You should have been the first ones to follow him. And whenever John said, here's the Lamb of God, here's the Messiah, you should have been the first in line to follow me. And then another guy on the other side of the huddle, Says, okay, yeah, that's you know, a good point. But we can't say that it was from man either. Because the crowds are convinced that John the Baptist is a true prophet of God. And if we're going to try and finally get rid of him, we're going to need the crowd on our side. And then a third guy says, well, there's really only one thing that we can say. One safe answer. We'll just tell them, we don't know, and then maybe he'll give us an answer. Now, doesn't this just sound a little bit like a conversation between a couple of first graders on the playground? Right? I mean, it's a little juvenile. They go back to Jesus and say, we don't know. What a, what a lie. They knew. They just didn't want to admit it. They willfully rejected the evidence that was right in front of them. If they answered heaven about John's baptism, that was admitting that Jesus' authority was also from heaven. And then they would have no choice but to follow and submit to Jesus and obey him as Lord. William Barclay says, They gave the lamest of all lame answers. And he's right. What a lame answer. Jesus and John were connected in that they were both authorized by heaven. God spoke audibly at the baptism of Jesus, affirming Jesus' ministry. When Mark begins his gospel, he cites Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, linking together the ministries of Jesus and John in the prophetic sense and also to one another. The evidence is right there in front of them. These men will not accept the evidence that is. That they see. In the end, all they have is an emotional reaction that's rooted in a fear of losing control, losing their position, losing their friends, and losing their way of life. The problem here isn't the lack of evidence. You might remember back in Mark chapter 8, verse 11, that the Pharisees came to argue with Jesus. And they demanded from him a sign from heaven that he was who he said he was that he was sent by God. Jesus had just fed 4,000 people. He had just restored the hearing and the speech of a deaf and youth man. He had just cast out the demon of a Gentile girl and he wasn't even in the same room as her. Shall I go on? We can go all the way back through Mark's Gospel of all the incredible things that Jesus had done. In fact, they're not even all written down. In some places it just says, He healed all their sick. He drove out all the demons. But we don't even know what the number of those were. Many thousands, I'm sure. They had all the evidence that they needed, but they ignored it. And I've met so many people who say, just show me some evidence and I'll believe. And maybe you've met them too. Just give me one piece of evidence and I'll believe. The problem isn't a lack of evidence. There's no more than enough evidence. The problem is a sinful heart. Our heart is full of sin. And we love our sin too much to admit who Jesus really is. Because if we admit who Jesus really You accept that Jesus is the Son of God, who died on the cross for your sins and was raised on the third day from the dead. You will never be the However, too many people live their lives just the way they are because they love their life just the way it is. They have it set up exactly like they want it set up, and they don't want anyone messing around with their fun. I cannot count. How many times have been told something like that? They don't keep living with their eyes closed and fingers in their ears. But just like Abraham says to the rich man in hell in Luke chapter 16, verse 31, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced that someone should rise from the dead. That's exactly what Jesus would do. Jesus would rise from the dead, and they still wouldn't believe. In fact, they do the opposite of that they try and cover up the resurrection and they try and defraud it and defame it and, and, and cause people to question and reject it. But no matter how much evidence. lose it somewhere, I'm okay with snakes. It's kind of like what's the worst kind of spider? The one that you lose when you go to get the tissue to kill it, right? And you come back and you're like, where'd it go? And then you can't sleep at night because you're afraid the whole thing's just gonna fall down on your face and you're gonna wake up with you know the giant spider all over you? 51% on the average of adults. This is adults are afraid of snakes. 62% of women, 32% of men. Other contenders top spot in descending order, public speaking, heights, small spaces, spiders and other insects, needles or shots, mice, flying, thunder and lightning, and a surprising 11%, this is adults, crowds going to the doctor, and at 5%, a fear of the dark. 5% of adults are afraid of the dark. That means like 3 or 4 of you here in the room this morning, are afraid of the dark. I'm not one. I'm not sure. <laughs> I can only imagine if they were doing... This, is a, this survey is a couple years old. I can only imagine if they were doing... And I didn't say to that if these are some of your fears, these are normal fears. I'm not trying to make fun of you or anything. But I wonder if they were doing a survey this year what some of the things that might be included on these lists of fears that people have. These verses, though, in our text today address another kind of fear... And it's the fear of man. Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man is a snare, but the one who trusts in the Lord is protected. Now what were these men afraid of? Were they afraid of disobeying God? Nope. Were they afraid of being hypocrites? Nope, not that either. Verse 32 reveals something truly troubling about their hearts. They were afraid of the crowd because everyone thought that John was truly a prophet. Now, typically I don't go to the parallel stories in the other gospels because I think that each gospel writer is trying to tell their story, and they include the information because that's the information we need to understand the story from their perspective. But I'm breaking that rule today. I'm going to to mention something from Luke chapter 20, verse 6, in the parallel accounts of this of this uh, instance gives us a little bit more detail. They, The religious leaders say, if we say a human origin, all the people will stone us. They will worry about their own lives. John the Baptist didn't seem to care about his life. He was beheaded. He spoke truth to authority. He told the, he told the and Herodias, hey, y'all shouldn't be married. That's what the Bible says. Y'all cut it out. You're living in sin. And John called sin for sin, and he it cost him his head. And Jesus also spoke truth to the authority, and the vision of the cross in his life as well. But these religious leaders—they had no backbone. They didn't care about what was true. They didn't care about what was right. They didn't care about what was safe. So where did their authority come from? They're asking Jesus, where did you get your authority? And the real question should be, where did they get their authority? Because it clearly wasn't from God because people who come with the authority of God don't care about what other people think. They speak the truth no matter what. They feared man more than they feared God. So their authority was clearly not from God. It was from man. Whatever was popular, whatever, whatever was good, with the culture. That's what they were, that's what they preach. And really, they were caught in their own trap. Because again, they weren't asking what's true, what's right. They were asking what's safe. And this is always the approach of hypocrites and people pleasers. How can I offend the least number of people? But the real question that we need to ask ourselves is not, am I pleasing other men, but am I offending God? We shouldn't care if we're we're talking about the gospel. I mean, there's a lot of offensive things that we can do that are not connected to God in any way that we can be annoying and jerks to other people. But if we're standing up for the truth of the gospel, our concern shouldn't be offending another person. It should be offending God. Jesus will drive this point home in the next passage that we'll look at next week again Chapter 12, verse 1. But they were more concerned about losing their influence. They were more concerned about their reputations than they were about losing their eternal souls. What is true, what is right, what is noble, what pleases God should be our first and really only priority. People who reject Jesus care more about what others think about them than what God thinks about them. And look, your reputation, it might die. But your soul can live forever with God in heaven. Don't let what other people think of you keep you from recognizing the truth about Jesus and following Him. These people were motivated by fear. The loss of position, the loss of power, the loss of privilege. Even though they were standing in the temple which for the Israelites is where God lived. The Holy (coughs) holies. God was right there in their presence. And even though their bodies were physically in the temple, their hearts were far away from God. So the question from this text is this. Have you trusted in Christ? Have you submitted to his authority in your life? And if not, what is holding you back? Is it that you have to give up control of your own life and you no longer call the shots? Is it your refusal to believe the evidence even though it's overwhelming? Or is it your fear of what other people might think about you instead of a proper fear of God? How much of your hesitation and Doubts and questions that go unanswered. You know, I think in our world, those things are just masks. I run into people all the time, and it's just a mask for them to hide their fear of what faith in Christ might cost them. Because the Bible says that following Christ costs something, and we should count the cost. And they're more worried about what it might cost them socially or culturally. Relationally or financially than they are about where they're going to spend their eternity. We need to look again into the face of Jesus and listen again to the words that he speaks and we need to watch again about how he loves people who are difficult to love and we need to think again about his claim to be God And then we must be willing to come to Jesus to submit ourselves to his authority. And I can tell you this, you will not be disappointed. Jesus came and lived a perfect life. We couldn't live a perfect life, a sinless life, even if we tried, even for a day. We couldn't do it. But Jesus did. He came and lived a perfect a sinless life And then he sacrificed himself on the cross, shedding his blood so that we might have forgiveness for our sins. And not only that, he was buried in a tomb and three days later rose from the grave proving not only that our sins would be forgiven but also that he has the power over death. And that when we put our faith and trust in him, not only can we have forgiveness for our sins, but we can have eternal life with him. And so I encourage you, submit to the authority of Jesus today. Ask him to be the boss of your life. Ask him to take the wheel and lead you and guide you in the way that he wants you to go. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of First Baptist Church of Versailles. We would love it if you joined us in person. Our services are Sunday at 1045 a.m. and Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. We are located at 211 East Jasper Street in Versailles, Missouri. For more sermon recordings, visit our sermon page at fbcversailles.com.